Well, good morning, everyone, again. It's so good to see you in worship, and I want to say thank you for worshiping the Lord through song, and now let's worship through the Word, shall we? If you haven't done so already, I want to invite you to take your listening outline from your worship guide, get a pen in hand, and open your Bibles, if you would, in the New Testament to the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John, chapter 11. Now, why are we looking at the Gospel of John today? Well, it's because it's part of our chapter a day readings this last week. We're making a 21-day journey through the Gospel of John, and if you're not yet a part of it, I want to invite you to be a part of it. Just pull out your phone right now, wherever you are, text the word chapter to 22828. You'll be able to sign up with your email address and join with hundreds of us as we're reading the Lord's Word together. Today we're on John chapter 14 in our readings. We'll wrap up next Sunday on John 21. And so I hope you'll join in that journey. Now, during this last week, whenever we read John chapter 11, and I made my way through that personally and devotionally and wrote a few comments for a chapter a day, I thought, man, this just has to be our text on Sunday morning. And so today what I want us to do is I want us to make our way through almost the whole chapter of John chapter 11 in a message that I've given the title. Do you see it on your outline? The title of the message is called Biblical Help and Biblical Hope When Someone You Love Falls Ill and Dies. So now let me ask a question today. How many of you would say that's already been true for you? That already in life you have experienced someone you love falling ill and dying. If that's already happened for you, can I see your hand right now? Okay, as I'm looking around the room, I'd say more than 80% of us, 85% of us, 90% of us, large number, that's already true for For some, it may have occurred in recent days. What you may not know is every week as our pastoral and ministry staff gather, we pray earnestly for those in our church family who are ill, who are hospitalized, who are at home with sickness. And it's about a four-page list that we pray through and pray over every week. We also pray for those in our church family that we know about who have lost loved ones, who are bereaved, who are grieved. And every week there are one, two, three, four, sometimes five families that have lost loved ones. And what I know is if you didn't raise your hand just a moment ago, you will one day. It will be true of everyone, will it not, that someone you love will grow ill and pass away. And the truth is, if the Lord tarries, guess what else is going to be true? Every one of us is one day going to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Because you know, I learned a statistic a long time ago, and it's still true now. Did you know that? The statistic is one out of one people die. It's been true for a long time. I expect it'll continue to be true in the days ahead. So where do you find help? Where do you find hope? Where where are the biblical truths that will sustain us in times like those? I think you're going to see some today in John chapter 11. 
Now, as we're preparing to hear the word here in the worship center, let me say the warmest of welcomes to those in our contemporary service, those online, those on TV. Really glad you've joined in today as well. Look at what the Bible says. Follow along. In John chapter 11, verse 1, it says this. It says, now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany. Now, that word Lazarus is a form of the name Eleazar. And Eleazar means God helps. And so Lazarus means one whom God helps. And so now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. And then John reminds us, verse 2, do you see it? It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. Now, if you're reading through the Gospel of John at this point, John 11, we really don't get that story until John chapter 12, when Mary showed Jesus this extraordinary act of extravagant love that really was an anointing and preparation for his death, his crucifixion. Verse 3 says, so the sisters, Mary and Martha, the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. That word love there is the Greek New Testament word phileo. It's a brotherly affection and kind of love that Jesus had for Lazarus. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. Now, he's not saying it might not involve Lazarus dying, but he's saying that won't be the end of the story. It won't conclude. It won't ultimately end in death. And then he says, it's for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Verse 5 says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. The word there is agape, agape kind of love, self-sacrificing love. But the point here is that those words, though there's a little bit of difference between them, they're really used interchangeably in the New Testament. Now, Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. He loved them all three. And verse 6 says, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill... And this is where the story takes an interesting turn because we probably would have thought the scriptures just told us that Jesus loved Lazarus. He loved Mary and Martha. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, what would you expect the scripture to say next? You might expect it to say, so he came running. He came as quickly as he could. He came to see if there was something he could do. But that's not what it says. Do you see it? It says, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill... He stayed two days longer in the place where he was. And then after this, he said to the disciples, let's go to Judea again. And now the disciples were really confused. They thought, well, why did he not go immediately? And then they thought, well, wait a minute. And so look, in verse 8, the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? And Jesus answered, somewhat cryptically, but somewhat not. He said, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he doesn't stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. In Jesus' day, when it was daylight, was when you worked. When the sun went down, work ceased. It was dark. You couldn't do it. And so what he was really saying is, listen, 
There is yet work of the Father that I need to do while the light is day because there's going to come a time when that work will end. Verse 11, after saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. Now, the disciples misunderstood that. Verse 12, the disciples said to him, well, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. In other words, they're saying, well, look, if he's just sick and if he's just asleep, he'll wake up and he'll get better. And Jesus said in verse 13, now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. And so Jesus told them plainly, verse 14, Lazarus has died. He just said it flat out. Lazarus has died. But then he says in verse 15, and for your sake, it's so important, for your sake, I'm glad I was not there. Why? So that you may believe. In other words, he said, listen, Lazarus sickness and death has purposes that are larger than just him. In fact, some of this is going to impact you and be for your good. He says, for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so you may believe, but let us go to him. And so Thomas, do y'all remember Thomas? How do we usually call him? Thomas the what? Do you know? Yeah, Thomas the doubter. He's the one who said, unless I see his hands and feet, I won't believe. But now notice what the scripture says. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go, that means go with Jesus back to Judea, back to Jerusalem, that we may die with him there. And I just want to say, that's not Thomas the doubter. That's Thomas the courageous. That's Thomas who was expressing devotion and courage and fidelity. And even though he expected going back to Jerusalem with Jesus might lead to his death, he was rallying the other disciples and say, let's go with him even if it causes his death. I just want to say, I think I'm going to try to stop calling him Thomas the doubter. I'm going to start calling him Thomas the courageous. And I'm going to point everybody to this verse. Well, what, uh, what truths should we learn from these first 16 verses? There are at least three. Would you write them in? I think they're so important. Here they are. Number one, this passage is teaching us that to be loved by Jesus, to be loved by Jesus does not grant us immunity. To be loved by Jesus does not grant us immunity from illness and suffering and death. What you can't miss in this passage is it says it multiple times, Jesus loved Lazarus. Jesus loved Mary. Jesus loved Martha. He loved them with phileo love. He loved them with agape love. He loved them. But Lazarus got sick. And Lazarus died. And his sisters grieved. Now, I want you to look right up here. There are some strains of modern-day Christianity that say, 
If your faith were just strong enough, if your faith were just deep enough, if your devotion to Christ were just true enough, then that's going to shield you. That's going to protect you. That's going to protect you from all suffering, from all evil, from all hurt, from all pain, from all difficulty. It, it, it conveys the message that if we trust enough, we're somehow immune from suffering and illness and death. And I just want to say the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches that to be loved by Jesus does not grant us immunity and that people who love the Lord get the flu, they get COVID, they get cancer, they get Alzheimer's, they get all manner of illness and sometimes suffer greatly and all of us will eventually die. But you know what the enemy wants to tell you and me? He wants to tell us if we're suffering, see, I told you, your suffering means he doesn't love you. But what I want to tell you is the question of whether or not Jesus loves us was settled forever when he died for our sins on the cross. My Lord loves me, and the reason I suffer and get ill and one day will die is because I live in a fallen, sinful, broken world, one that he came to redeem and ultimately make right. Here's the second truth. Write it in. And that is, we should learn to trust, to trust Jesus' timing and purposes even when we don't fully understand them. We should learn to trust his timing and his purposes, even when we don't fully understand them. It's almost a guarantee that Mary and Martha didn't understand why Jesus didn't get there quicker. It's certainly true. You see it clearly in these verses. The disciples didn't understand why he was going back to Jerusalem when he was likely to be killed there. But did you see all the all the clues that God through Christ was up to something bigger, up to something larger, up to something that would bring God glory. In fact, he said it straight out in verse 4. This is for the glory of God and so that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. It's just a reminder, you all, that what Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 55 is true. When the Lord says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And sometimes we just have to say, Lord, I don't understand fully, but I trust you. I trust your timing, and I trust your purposes I trust that you're sovereign and good and wise. I trust you. Here's the third truth out of this passage. And that is, if we are Christ followers, this passage teaches us that the events and circumstances of our lives are not ultimately about us. They're not ultimately about us. They are ultimately for the glory of God. Did you see that here? This is not ultimately about Lazarus, even though we know there will be good news for him before the end of the story. 
The whole episode is so that God will be glorified and Jesus will be trusted. Listen, if it's a point where you are growing toward maturity when you're in Christ, when you realize life is not all about me. Life is about something bigger, and that something bigger is the glory of God. Let me just say, if you wonder if that principle is true, go back and read Ephesians chapter 1 and Ephesians chapter 2. Because in Ephesians 1, three times after it tells us all that God does for us in Christ, it says, this is, the reason he does this is for the praise of his glorious grace. This is for the praise of his glory. This is for the praise of his glory. And even our salvation is so that people will stand in awe of God's grace. It's a good day when you learn to say, this is not all about me. Lord, show me how it can be for your glory. Well, are you with me so far? All right, let's keep going. Verse 17, it says, now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. To get there, you walked out of the temple through the Kidron Valley, up the Mount of Olives, over the top to the east side, two miles, and there was Bethany. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. This is true to form, is it not? Don't you remember the stories about Mary and Martha? Martha was the one who was always busy serving and doing. She was the activist. In fact, she complained once to G Jesus, tell Mary. Mary was more contemplative and inner life focused, and she was content to sit and listen to Jesus. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, what'd she do? And she jumped up and ran to meet him. Mary sat at the house and thought about it a little while longer. Look in verse 21. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. You know, one of the things about Scripture is we cannot hear tone of voice or inflection in the words that are written. So in verse 21, we're not sure if this is purely a statement of faith on Martha's part, Lord, if you had been here, I know my brother would not have died. Or did it have a bit of question or, or, even, uh, or even complaint in it? Was it more like, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I don't know how we should read verse 21, but verse 22 is clearly a statement of faith. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. So write it in. Here's the lesson for us. When someone we love dies, it's not unusual for us to have some questions. It's not unusual for us to have some questions right alongside our faith and our trust in Jesus. That was true for Mary and Martha. It'll likely be true for you and me. You know, sometimes the questions are fewer, especially if the one you love has lived a long life, they've been healthy, their life has been blessed, and then in, 
in old age, they sort of die on time and they die in order. But if someone you love dies way too young in our eyes, or if your child or if your grandchild dies, boy, the questions, the questions are then, Lord, what, why, what, what's the timing of this? What are you doing here? And I want to say that as we grow to maturity in Christ, we learn that our questions live right alongside our faith, where even as we have questions, we say, but Lord, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Don't let your questions knock you out of the saddle. Don't let your questions keep you from following Jesus. Don't let your questions make you stop trusting him. You can trust him with unanswered questions all the way to the day you're with him in heaven. Look at verse 23. Jesus said to Martha, your brother will rise again. And Martha said, well, I know. I know he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Now, you see, what Martha was giving voice to was some theology she had learned in her day. The Pharisees were a group that taught there is an afterlife. There will be a resurrection at the end of the age. There was another group of religious leaders, the Sadducees, they did not believe there was any life after death. They didn't believe in the resurrection. That's the reason why they were sad, you see. That is really bad, is it not? But you'll never forget it. That's what they believed. And so Martha had adopted the views of the Pharisees, which would have been consistent with Jesus' teaching. She said, I, I know he'll one day be raised at the end of the age. But that wasn't what Jesus was teaching her or us. Look what he says next. Jesus said to her, I just want you to read it out loud with me. So everybody in the room, would you read it out loud with me? Read, <coughs> read the remainder of verses 25 and 26. It begins, I am the resurrection. Here in the worship center, there in the contemporary service. I want you all to read it out heartily with us as well. Are you ready? Here we go. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And I think there must have been a few moments of silence. An activist Martha thought before she spoke. And then she said, yes, Lord. Yes. I believe you're the Christ. I believe you're the Messiah, the Son of God who is coming into the world, sent by the Father. 
What is this passage teaching you and me? Write it in. It's number five on your outline. Because Jesus is the resurrection and the life, Jesus is teaching us that death does not get the last word. Death doesn't get the last word. And he is teaching us, number two, that all who believe in Jesus, all who trust him, will live even though we die. We will have in Jesus eternal life. Now, I I, want to just say, I I, I need to make sure I don't somehow... um, affirm one of the myths of our age. And the myth is that all you have to do to go to heaven is to die. But Jesus doesn't teach that. Do you remember John 3, 16? It says, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not, what's the next word? Perish. And if you die, if I die, apart from Christ, we perish. We experience eternal death. But all the good news is that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And even though we die, after a battle with pneumonia, after a battle with the flu, after a battle with COVID, after a battle with some long-term degenerative disease, whenever the day comes that you and I breathe our last, the Bible says he sends his angels to usher us into the very presence of the Lord, and we will be with him forever. Amen. Amen. So truth number six is this. When someone we love dies, it's the time to answer honestly and personally the question of what we believe about Jesus. You know, every funeral that we have here at Ingleside, every funeral that one of our pastors leads in, we have two or three purposes that we always speak to. One is, is it's appropriate to say good words, eulogia, eulogy about the deceased and honor them. It's always appropriate to comfort the family But you know what else is always appropriate at a funeral? It's always appropriate to look around the room at every person present, including a grieving family, and say, now, when Lazarus died, Jesus said to his sister, Martha, the real critical thing is, do you believe? Do you trust me? And the same is true today. Do you trust him? Will you answer honestly and personally? Our response to Christ, 
by God's grace, determines our eternal destiny. So how does this passage conclude? Look at it, verse 28. When she had said this, she went and called her sister, Mary, saying in private, the teacher's here, he's calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. And now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to weep there. And when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She and Martha said exactly the same thing. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. There's a scholarly debate about how to translate that phrase, deeply moved in his spirit. It's a pretty rare Greek word. It's the word embryomai. And in most of its other usage, it has the notion of of being deeply moved, but deeply moved with indignation and with some anger and being upset about what is going on. And the scripture says Jesus was moved in that way and greatly troubled. What, what was he indignant and upset about? Probably he was seeing the effects of death and God did not create this world to experience death. Death is a result of sin and he saw the grief and the sorrow on display in front of him. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come and see. And then the Bible says, Jesus wept. I just want to tell you that whatever the word means and however it ought to be translated, his tears tell us all that we need to know. And that is, his heart was tender toward those who grieved. And some of the Jews said, see, I loved him. But some, some took another tack. They said, well, could, he not, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? So write it in, truth number seven, is Jesus is tender toward those who grieve. And I want to say, when your turn comes, and you grieve, if you'll turn to Jesus, he will comfort you. The Bible says God comforts those who are brokenhearted. He's close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. We have a tender Savior, a compassionate Savior toward those who grieve. Well, we're not quite to the end. Look at verse 38. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, Martha, ever the practical one, said, Lord, don't do it. It's going to stink. By this time, there'll be an odor. He's been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, didn't I tell you, Martha, that if you believed, you'd see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and then Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. In other words, he's already prayed about this. He knows what's about to happen. 
I knew that you always hear me, but I said this account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. Here's an indicator again. This is bigger than Lazarus. This is bigger than Mary and Martha. God is up to something bigger than their individual lives. And part of it is so that others would believe. Verse 43, when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. More than one commentator has said, it's a good thing he said Lazarus. (laughs) Because if he had not, that would have been dead people coming out of tombs all over the world. And verse 44 says, the man who had died came out. His hands and feet were bound with the linen strips they'd put around him when he died. His face was wrapped with a cross. And Jesus said, unbind him and let him go. What's going on here? Write it in. Number eight, Jesus validated, he validated his teaching that he was the resurrection and the life by raising Lazarus back to life. And then just a few days later, by his own resurrection from the dead on the third day after he was crucified. You know, it's one thing. For somebody to say something, it's another thing for them to validate it. And by raising Lazarus, and as the Father raised him from the dead, it validates his teaching about eternal life. So then let's finish up. Verse 45 says, many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and seen what he did, they believed in him. It accomplished its purpose. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, what are we going to do? This man performs many signs. In fact, this is the culminating sign short of his resurrection. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. In other words, they were saying, we're going to lose our role, our status, our influence, our place, our temple, our nation if he keeps on. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, in fact, he was high priest 18 to 36 AD, said, you know nothing at all. Don't you understand that it's better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish? And notice what John says about that. He said, Caiaphas didn't know what he was saying. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he in fact prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not only for the Jews, the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. That is Gentiles too. And so from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. And Jesus therefore no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness to a town called Ephraim, And there he stayed with the disciples. So the last point is this. Write it in. So what is your response to Jesus? Will you, like some who witnessed this miracle, trust and follow him? Or will you ignore the evidence? Will you oppose him? Will you ignore him? Will you say, I'll just go on my own? In just a moment, we're going to sing our concluding song. But before we do, I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And if you've never put your trust 
in the Lord Jesus, today's the day to do that. Maybe you have been walking your own path, walked away from him. Today's the day to come back home. Renew your commitment to Christ. Maybe you're an all-in follower of Christ, but you've walked through the valley of grief recently. Today's a day to find help and hope through the gospel and through the Lord Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for teaching us from your word today. I want to pray now for some who are listening, who've never turned to you, that right now they would say like Martha, yes, Lord, I believe. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah. You are the Son of God. You are the resurrection and the life. I'm sorry for my sins. Please forgive me. I trust you. Father, thank you that you hear that kind of prayer and that you forgive and redeem. You adopt us into your family. You give us eternal life. Lord, I want to pray today that you would comfort and encourage and strengthen those who are grieving today. Help us feel and know right alongside our grief and our questions that death doesn't get the final word for all who are in Christ, but we have eternal life in you. And Lord, help us all today renew our commitment to walking in obedience, walking in confidence, walking in joy, walking in hope because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is our prayer today. In Jesus' name, amen.